Thank you, Brother Tom. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and invite the Lord. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before thee again this evening, and we want to cordially invite thee to come in our midst. Father, I pray that you would open my mouth and help me to speak the very oracles of thy precious word. Father, I pray for the teens in this room, that they would be receptive to the message that thou hast stored this evening. Father, you are a good God, and you are a gracious God. And collectively, we want to thank you for your precious son who left the courts of glory to die for sinful misfits and wretched men as we are, and in whose name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so before I start, um, I need to apologize. Can I have a show of hands of... Uh, those that were in my class yesterday morning. Do you remember the story I told you of, uh, of George Gutai? Yeah, well, I was wrong. I was very wrong. So I need to apologize. It was another brother. Um, and I, he'll, he'll remain nameless. But uh, I need to apologize. I told George that I would uh, apologize. He came uh, yesterday and he goes, Dennis. I go, yeah. So I hear you telling the kids I was smoking dope. So uh, I said, uh, yeah, wasn't it you? He said, no, it wasn't me. He told me the story, so I felt really, really bad. So I'm sorry. Sorry, George. Um, <clears throat> and I hope you voted for him for the advisor. Anyways, um, I want to talk this evening about a man, um, better yet, a boy. A boy in the Bible Last night, Brother Doug had a message, and he talked about the many bold and faithful men in the Bible, and he zeroed in on John the Baptist. Tonight, I want to talk about, and even though John the Baptist is found in the New Testament, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. I want to go back to the Old Testament as well. I want to talk about a young man. I want to talk about the courage and the boldness that this young man had. A young man of integrity, a young man who was bold in the face of his adversaries, and a young man that reminds me a lot of you guys. I want to tell you, those of you that know me, I don't pull any punches. I tell it like it is, and I'm told like it is. Somehow it's harder receiving it than giving it. But the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm honored to preach to you tonight. I'm honored to be used by God to share the gospel message with you. And the reason is because you young men are the future. The Bible, the best-selling book you have in front of you, is filled with stories of young men and women who carried the torch, who grew old in the faith, and who left a legacy. One of those young men is Daniel. I want to talk about Daniel tonight. You don't have to turn with me. If you want to, you could follow Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to be flipping through a few passages of Scripture. But before I start reading, I want to give you a little bit of a background, a backdrop. Can I ask you guys all a question? I want to hear a resounding answer. 
Can God lie? You're absolutely right. The Bible says in Titus 1, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul speaking of the hope he has, he says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Way back when, God told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 28, as he established these people, and, you know, I thought about why God chose the Israelites, the Jewish people, to be his representatives here on earth. And, you know, they think it's because they're special and so forth, because they're smarter, whatever the reason is. But if you've had any dealings with Jewish people, they really are difficult people. They're stiff-necked, they're, they're cutthroats. Um, and if I know God and the grace of God, and I, if I look around at the audience in this room and those that are saved, I can probably see that it's because of that reason that God chose them. In fact, he says, you are a stiff-necked people. He chose them to represent himself to the nations. The Jewish people were supposed to tell the world who the creator was, who Jehovah was. And in the discourse that God had with Moses and Moses sharing those blessings and the cursings of failing to do that which God commands them, Deuteronomy 28 says, in 15, it's titled, The Consequences of Disobedience. But in 25, Deuteronomy 28, verse 25, the Bible says, The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Remember, God cannot lie. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. That was told to Moses, to the children of Israel, 800 years, some 800 years before Daniel comes onto the scene. Daniel's a young Jewish boy. Jerusalem is besieged. The Babylonians take captive Daniel and his buddies, among many other. And with that in mind, I'd like us to read together, if you have it open, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Children, in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding, science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Ashpenaz, the king's servant, was supposed to bring these young boys and train them up in the way of the Chaldeans. They were going to stand before the king one day and they were going to serve the king, whichever capacity he saw fit. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Ashpenaz has three years to fatten up these young men, make them look big, strong, good-looking, so that they could stand before the king, and the king's going to use these young men for his service. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, 
Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Cedric, and to Mishael of Mesech, and to Azariah of Abednego. They change your names. They change your names to fit their customs. If they're going to teach these young men their ways, might as well give them new names. And you know what's interesting is you've heard that saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That was okay with David and his, and his friends. You can call me whatever you want. You can call me Joe, Frank, Bob, as long as it's a boy's name, but you can call me whatever you want. That wasn't the point. Their names never gave them their character. Their names didn't make up who they were. But Daniel, verse 8, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel knew as a young boy. Some commentaries say that these young boys were 13, 14 years old. As young as some of you. A lot younger than some of you as well. Daniel purposed in his heart. As a young Jewish boy, he was taught the, the laws and the customs of Moses. He was told what he can and cannot eat, what defiles him or a Jewish boy. Here he is. You know, he could have compromised. We do it. He could have compromised and said, look, God, I'm not home anymore. I'm in this foreign land. I don't know where my parents are. But he stuck to his guns. You know, Lord, I'll honor you in my heart. You know what my heart's like. But, but even if I eat this food, you know I'm not really concentrating on what I'm eating. We do that. We go into a bar, we have a couple of drinks, and we think we're going to witness to people, right? And what do we say? I know you guys are laughing because we talked about the bar scene this morning, but you guys asked for it. So, Lord, you know what's in my heart, we say. Or we, you know, we start flirting with the girl who's not a Christian. We're believers or vice versa. We're like, well, we know this is not right. We know it's not proper. But you know what we say? We know, God, you know our heart. Maybe they'll become a Christian. Daniel stuck to his guns, young men and women. He knew that our actions speak louder than our words. We talked about that this morning. He knew that God required of him to stand firm in what was right. What does Daniel do? He requests of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. What I find beautiful is that when Daniel did this, look what immediately happens in verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. God prepared the heart of this eunuch because Daniel showed his, his service to God. You know, guys, I'll tell you something. If you stay firm to God, you'll never fail. God will bring you out. God will show you favor. God does it. He's done it before. He'll do it again. I'm a living witness of that. If you stand firm, God will honor that. God will open up doors and avenues that you can find ways out. You know, the eunuchs could have said, what? You're going to eat that pork. I'll give you a little Jew boy. You're going to eat it. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, look, Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your face as worse, liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. You know, it's one thing. Daniel, you know, told the king, listen, king, we can't eat this food. 
And the king said, look, Daniel, I like you. You know, I saw when you were walking, you know, the, all the other boys were rattling the chains and cursing and swearing, and you were quiet. And you're going to Babylon. And maybe you're singing. Maybe you're saying, the Lord, our God is one. I don't know, but, but I could see you're different. I'd like to help you out, but my head's on the line. If you don't eat this food and you stand before this king and you look like a skinny runt, I'm dead. That's true, isn't it? It's one thing to share the gospel and put yourself at risk. It's another thing to share the gospel and put others at risk. You have to be careful of that. I know when I, when I go across the street at Pelham Park there and I share the gospel message, I think oftentimes I should, I'd like to bring my wife and my two girls, but then knowing the environment, it's, I may be putting them in a predicament. So it's better if I take a brother with me. So if something happens, he can get the blame or, you know. But, you know, it's better to, to, to watch yourself and, and watch others who are with you. And Daniel knew this. So look what Daniel says. In verse 11, then said Daniel to Melsar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He says in verse 12, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, 10 days. Hey, look. Okay, I understand your head's on the line. Can you do me a favor? Give us 10 days. But you know what's amazing? David didn't, Daniel didn't scratch his head and go back and say, God, what? Daniel knew God was going to come through. Daniel trusted God. He said, look, give us 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, he says, I beseech you, give us 10 days and let him give us pulse to eat, porridge, vegetables, and water to drink. Verse 13, then let our countenance be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. David, Daniel, I keep saying David, Daniel said, give us 10 days. After 10 days, look at us. If we look skinny, do with us what you want. He didn't say after 10 days, if we're skinny, it's not working out, we'll eat the king's food. He said, do what you, what you will with us. Just give us 10 days to prove ourselves. No further to prove the God we serve. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the, than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Tell me God's not good. All those other boys who capitulated who ate of the king's wine and the food. They didn't stand a chance with Daniel and his friends. Why? Because the food was worse? Because the porridge was better? No, no, because God is good. Further, that God is faithful. God proved himself through the faithfulness of these young men. Verse 16 says, thus Belsar took away the portion of the meat. He took it away in the wine that they should drink, and they gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Can you imagine the gifts that God poured out to this young man? God gifted this young man because of his faithfulness. You know, we live in the year 2009. And I know you're probably thinking, this is Daniel. This is a different time. This is a different place. It is. The play's the same. The theme is the same. The actors have changed. changed. The backdrop has changed. The places have changed, but the theme's the same. Is this our world? 
Is this where we live? You know that famous song, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up where? Somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door so that I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This isn't our home. But we compromise. We give in to the pressures. They had an adult form on, 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 on adult peer pressure. We all give in. Why don't we stand firm? I don't get it. Is your God a weakling? You go to school. Think about it. You go to school. You know the truth of the word of God. You've been, most of you have been brought up with the word of God since you were babies. You know God is everywhere. You know God loves you. And if somebody told you that God doesn't love you and that God is some sort of angry God who you make one mistake and he destroys you, they're not telling you the truth. The Bible does say he loves you. The Bible screams out to everyone in this room and to the world, I love you. I've told you that on Monday morning or Tuesday morning. Look out. All of creation worships God. He loves you. He's telling you, I want you to be my children. What do you do? You give in. Your friends roll up a joint and they offer it to you. Your friends give you booze or beer, whatever it is. You know, those are real life things. You know, you, you, you Twitter and you, you email and you talk to girlfriends and boyfriends. Listen, that's normal. I hope you have, you know, you have those feelings for a boy. Those are girls and boys for girls. You know, if you don't, there's another forum somewhere else for that. But, you know, <laughs> you, you know the, the, the point is those feelings are natural. But timing is key. God has instilled those feelings in your hearts and in your lives. But timing is key. Timing is essential. I just think of, I think of Daniel. I think of his boldness in coming to God. They bring them before the king, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel and three boys. Therefore they stood before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than the astrologers and the, and the magicians that were in his realm. And verse in chapter 1 ends with Daniel continued. Then it goes to chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar comes around, and Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. He has a dream. He wakes up from his sleep and, and, and he tells, calls the magicians and he says, guys, I had a nightmare. Can you please tell me what my nightmare was? And they all come around and say, sure, okay. Can you interpret it for me? They, he asked him, sure, tell us what the dream was. And Nebuchadnezzar never became king because he was some dum-dum. He says, no, no, I want to see if you guys are really true. I want to know if you guys are the real thing. The king answered and said, the thing is gone from me. I don't remember what I dreamed. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. I want you guys to tell me my dream. Go to your gods, whoever you inquire from, and ask them what my dream was. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants a dream and we're going to interpret it. Come on, king, just tell us a dream. We'll interpret it for you. The king answered and said, I know of certain that you are gained the time. You're just stalling for time because you see the thing is gone from me. I told you it's gone from me. You're just stalling for time. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is one decree for you. You have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me. You're going to make up a dream. 
Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the inter interpretation thereof. The Chaldean answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. There's no one who can do this, king. There is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such a things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. And it's a rare thing that the king requires. And there's none other, watch this, that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I mentioned this this morning, or last night's sermon. What did Doug say? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. God and Jesus are one. Jesus dwelt among us. We got a glimpse into the religion of the Babylonians. The gospel of Jesus Christ is foreign to a lot of people because they cannot fathom the creator of the universe dressing up in human form, allowing himself to be spit upon, crucified, mocked, and killed by his creation. When he said this, the king was furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. This comes down to Daniel's ears. Daniel answers with counsel and wisdom to Eric, the captain of the king's guard, which has gone forth to slay the wise men. And he goes, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Ariok made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel goes in, in verse 16, and desired of the king that he would give him time, that he would show him the, the king, the interpretation. Look, king, give me some time. I'll tell you what you dream. Daniel was saying, I know my God. I know my God is faithful. I said you guys remind me of Daniel. But then I think of some of the actions. Guys, I, 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 we're in war. Think of some of the conversations that go on around about you. We're in war. We have an adversary who's a lion, who's a roaring lion. What do we do? Yo, what's up? Oh, what's up, B? Did you see the new video game by We? God of War, it's sick. No, 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 no. We're sick in the true sense. I think somewhere down the, the, down the line, we've really missed our calling. We're the salt of the earth. You guys are the salt of the earth. Look, I'm not going to tell you here that you're the, you're the torch carriers of the apostolic Christian church. You're the torch bearers of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The apostolic Christian church will be there as long as you do that. You meet your friends. You look them in the eye. Your coworkers. You look at them. They're going to burn in hell. You told me yourself God can't lie. Is it a scary message? Don't blame me, blame God. God's screaming out to you, you want to burn in hell? I don't want you to burn in hell. I don't know you guys. I can tell you I love you. I've said that to my class as well, and now you've heard it twice. I love you in the Christian sense, and I need to tell you that. You know, and it's not just about Thursday night, teen sermon camp. It's about when you go home, where the rubber hits the road, and now your friends ask you to do those things which you know are wrong. You know they're wrong because your parents taught you they're wrong. Furthermore, God himself told you they're wrong. 
Look at Daniel. God's growing this young man in favor. He's got visions. He's got gifts. Look what happens now. The king. Then Daniel goes. Look at this prayer meeting. Probably the first prayer meeting that happened. Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was a secret revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. God came through. He will come through. He promises he's going to come through. He can't lie. Then Daniel answered. Daniel goes into this doxology, this praise. Blessed be the name of the God of forever of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. He changes time. He puts up kings. He puts them down. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them to know understanding. He reveals the deep. And then in verse 23, he says, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers who has given me wisdom and might. And for Daniel goes to Arioch in verse 24, whom the king had ordained to destroy. And he says to him, bring me in before the king and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Take me to the king. I'm ready to tell him what he dreamed. And not only what he dreamed, but the meaning of his dream. Daniel goes to the God who gave the dream. And he says, God, tell me what his dream was and tell me what the meaning of it is. And God comes through and tells him. And Daniel says, send me to the king. I'm going to tell him. Then Eric brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, I have seen, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Can you do this, Daniel? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which a king hath demanded cannot the wise men the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. The dream and the visions of thy head upon the bed are these. And he goes on to explain the dream. You know what happens at the end of the dream? As David explains, and I'm not going to go into that, as he explains the whole dream, verse 46, then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worship Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Can you imagine? This is the king of Babylon. The Babylonians ruled the world for, I don't know how many years, but a long time. Can you imagine you coming and President Barack Obama bowing himself to you at 15, 16, 18 years old? It seems kind of foreign, doesn't it? That's what happened. Is the Bible true? I'm asking a question. Is the Bible true? That's what happened. Because this man stood firm in his faith. You know if you look deep down in your hearts that you know what? You know that if you're not committed to the Lord, I don't have to tell you. You don't have to tell anyone. You're miserable. You have friends. You have good friends. You have things to do, places to go and people to see. But deep down you know because unfortunately, for your sake, you've been exposed to the gospel. You know what's right and wrong. You're like Adam and Eve whose eyes were opened. They covered themselves up. So why are you waiting? What's going to come your way? I told some of you I was 16 when I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah, I went through some rough times as a young Christian. But you know what? Now looking back at 35 years old, 
I wish I was 12. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. I have nothing to gain. It's not as if you're going to drop five bucks in, in the tray when you leave so I can. It's not a pep talk, guys. You know what I'm saying is true because you know it's true. You've heard it before. Why do you think the preachers in the, in, the, in the auditorium preach a gospel message? For their benefit, they love you. This is their way of screaming, I love you. Yeah, we rip it apart. We rip apart the sermon. We say, you shouldn't have said that. You should have said this or whatever. The truth behind all of that is every forum that you've been to, every teen sermon you've heard, every adult message you heard, if I can bring it down to its basic point, is those people are saying, we love you so much. We want you to have what we have. Listen, I, I'm not going to tell you a lie. You've, you've seen bad examples as Christians. I know you have. And maybe some of you here tonight don't want to become a Christian or don't want to turn your life to the Lord because of what you've seen. And you know what? What you've seen may be true. They may have been a poor example of a Christian. But that still doesn't justify you. And that's just the devil's way of closing your eyes and saying, I can't wait till they get to hell with me. What does Daniel do when he gets up in power? King made Daniel a great man in verse 48 and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. David was okay. It was okay to go in these positions of power in Babylon, but he was not going to compromise his faith. God may call you in different places, young men and women, but it's important not to compromise your faith. Does Daniel forget his friends when he gets up there in power? Look what Daniel does. Talk about a true friend. Daniel requested of the king, and he set Sadrach, Message and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. He said, King, I know three young men who are good men, and I know you need some guys over these affairs. Can I recommend them? And they climb up that ladder, and they, they rule over certain affairs in Babylon with Daniel. And I'm not going to go through the whole book of, of Daniel, but I will go through some chapters. In, in chapter 3, what happens? Nebuchadnezzar sets up a golden image. You know, Nebuchadnezzar's funny. He's a funny king. He, he, he praises God, and then he gets carried away, and he falls again. And he praises God again, and he, you know, he, he gets all high and mighty and, and falls away again. He builds up this golden image. And now there's jealousy, and, and people want to get rid of these four friends, Daniel and his three buddies, so these guys tell the king, set up this golden image and blow a trumpet. And whoever doesn't bow down at the sound of this trumpet, you're going to kill. Throw them in a fiery furnace. Who wouldn't like a golden image of themselves? Nebuchadnezzar says, what? A golden image of me? Absolutely. Here's the money to start it. They build up this golden image. And they try to get Cedric message and Abednego to buckle. What happens with them in chapter 3? They face the fiery furnace and they tell Nebuchadnezzar, look, our God, you know what he's able to do? He's able to save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't come through, let it be known to you, king, we can't buckle. We're not going to compromise. We'll burn. You can, you can burn my body. You can't take my soul. Remember what Jesus said? Don't fear those that can burn and destroy the body, but fear him who can take both body and soul and, and cast it to hell. We know who that is. What does God do? He comes through again and again and again and again. And he's come through for you again and again and again. And you're here at Eastern Camp again and again. 
and you've been here last year, and you heard a wonderful story of the Bible, and you felt the call of God tugging at your heart, and you're like, hmm, and now you're here again. Some of the boys came from Paraguay. They had a bad accident. I know you guys know about that. You already heard about it. Praise God, nobody was seriously hurt. But their life could have been snuffed out. I think all of them were believers, so praise the Lord for that. But our life's like a vapor. You know, I think back to, to a young girl. A lot of you know Christy Boliance. You remember her. Her life was snuffed out at 16 years old. After they throw these, these men in the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar looks in. He says, didn't we throw three men in this furnace? I see a fourth man. He's like the son of man. And they pull them out. And what does Nebuchadnezzar say again? Ne then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, blessed be the God and of Sadrach, Message and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants. Again, he praises God. And then in the fourth chapter, he has another vision. And you know what God does to Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know if you guys heard that story. In order to humble Nebuchadnezzar, God makes him grow claws and feathers, makes him crawl on all fours, and he goes into the wild to live like a beast, like an animal, in order to humble this king. From a great king to this crazy, lunatic, hairy monster, You know, God can do that as well to us. And he's done that to some of us. He's humbled us so bad in order to draw us. And he will. I don't have much time. I think about Monday night. Brother John Zoy shared with us the story of, of uh, Philip Reinhardt. I've never met the man. I don't think I've, uh, my wife and I have met the man. I, I don't know him. I only know him from what people have said. He talked about Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith. And you know, he asked you all a question on Monday night. He asked you guys, who here is willing to die for Jesus? And a bunch of you shot up your hands. I was sitting right in the corner here. And you know, I never put my hand up. I've been 20 years a believer. I didn't put my hand up. Because the gravity of the question made me stop and think. Let me tell you guys something. If you don't live for Jesus, you're never going to die for him. Don't kid yourself. I think the devil has perpetrated that greatest lie for us to kind of hang our hat on that hope. Well, if tough, time come, tough times come, I'll die for him. We've testified on our proving night. Would you give your life to the Lord? I would. I think we hang our hat on that. We live every which way we want to because one day we give our life, to give our life up for Jesus. I promise you, you will buckle and you will fail because if you don't live for Jesus now, you'll never die for him then. It's high time, young men and women. You don't have to be 20, 30 years old. The Bible, I've said in the beginning, is full of young men and women who are faithful to the promises of God. It's high time that you recognize your calling. I see so much potential here. I don't even know you, but God doesn't call you to be a bench warmer to sit on your hands. 
God is gifted. God has a gift for those believers. The Bible says that God gives gifts to profit with all. He gives the gifts of his spirit for others to prosper and to, to, to encourage the body of believers and to share the gospel message. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, says, Christ said, go ye into all the world, teaching all things whatsoever I've commanded you, baptizing them. That's us. You don't have to be good enough. You've seen the apostles. We've talked about them in Bible class with some of you. Nobodies. Yes, religions want to idolize these guys, but they were nobodies. They became somebodies because of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's you and I. God has called us to rock this world, not rock this world. It wasn't funny, but kind of looked funny. But, you know, it's true. The Lord has called us. I want you, young men, to take this to heart. Young men and women, take this to heart. The Lord has called you, and he wants to, we, he wants to equip the body to, to spread forth. You know, I remember at a brother's meeting, Brother Doug, Doug, your ears must be, must be itching. I've been mentioning you so many times, probably because you're here and I don't want to get in trouble. But, um, you know, he mentioned at a brother's meeting, he said, go, be used. The brothers will support you. You know, a lot of the young brothers, we want to attain to a minister or an elder or whatever it is. If you're a child of God, you have the greatest position in the world. You're a son of the Almighty. There's nothing greater than that. There's nothing better than that. We trade that beautiful, precious position to become a nobody in this world. We want to mesh and, and, and mingle with the world. We want to rub shoulders with the world. You already stick out like a thumb. The things that you do, the sinful things you do, you do it grudgingly because you know it's not right. The rest of your friends do it freely. They grow into it. They jump into it head first. You're dragging yourself to do the sinful things they do because you know deep down it's wrong. You're wasting your time. And when you do it, you feel guilty and wretched and sinful. And you do it again and again. Let's be like Daniel's. Let's be bold in our walk. Let's be solid for the Lord. Let's do it because you know what? Don't you think Jesus deserves it? I mean, let's face it, guys. He left everything for us. I'll never understand that until I get there. But when I think of my life and the things I've done and the way I act and react, either somebody must be missing something to love me or they love me so much I can't understand it. And we know it's the latter. God deserves our love. He's worthy of our love. Those of you that have not committed, don't waste your time. This is a call an urgent call to a serious faith. God bless Daniel. Daniel grew up to be an old man. This young teenage boy who came out of Judah end up, ended up having probably the greatest gift, some would say, that a man has ever had. He ended up having visions and prophecy of what's going to happen in the last days. I promise you, nay, the Bible promises you that God will gift you and bless you if you serve him and if you turn your hearts to him. 
we all said together that God cannot lie. And in closing, I want to read you a passage of scripture that's found in Revelation, <clears throat> the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 11 to 21. Please listen carefully. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls, the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. There's a horrible day coming. There's a very scary day coming. You won't die for Jesus. If we're not filling ourselves and anointing ourselves with the Spirit of God through his word, through studying his word, through working in his kingdom, through reaching out to the lost, through working in, in, even in this fellowship, so many things to be done. So many souls that can be brought. You know what? You know we love this fellowship. If you didn't, you wouldn't have been here. We all have a special attachment. Yeah, we complain. We gurgle and we, well, we don't gurgle, but we complain and we murmur and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But the truth of the matter is we like seeing each other. We like high-fiving each other. We like seeing friends and family and each other year after year here and having 800 and something people. Well, the leaders have given us a go-ahead. Preach a gospel. Reach out to the lost. Let me tell you something, a lot of you get discouraged because of your parents. We've talked about this. You know what? My father is old school. My father is old school. He just was brought up that way. A lot of your parents are old school. But you know, my father would oppose me whenever I would bring something new in. Whether we wanted something new in the church, some... You know why? I, I came to realize why he opposed me. Because all I was doing was arguing. All I was doing was complaining. 
My life Monday to Saturday didn't display a Christian walk. I did everything. I went with my friends, went to restaurants, bars, all that sort of stuff. And then I came and said, I want change. We talked about this as well, those of you in my class. Then, you know what I saw, how, when I saw my father change? And you know who changed? It wasn't me. It was both of our fathers. When he saw me working, when he saw me preoccupied, when he saw me studying the word, when he saw me sharing the gospel, then all of a sudden, he didn't have the courage. I guarantee you, you'll have your families and the leaders' full support. It's taped. It's recorded. If you walk the Christian walk and you walk your talk, you'll be blessed. God Almighty will stand right beside you. Last verse. I'm not going to talk about it. I just want to, it's an encouragement to the young men and women in this room. It was written by the Apostle John, one of the oldest apostles that from, from history died a, a natural death. First John 2, John says this, I have written unto you, young men, and I, I'm going to include women here. I have written unto you, young men and women, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. And again he says in verse 14, I have written unto you, young men and women, I'm going to add, because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. Young men and women, abide in the word of God. Be strong. Go forth as soldiers of the Lord under the banner of Jesus Christ and God will be with you. Battle strong, but battle with humility. Look at our Lord Jesus Christ, the most powerful being in the universe. And how did he serve? With an iron fist or with love? But he didn't compromise. He stood firm. 12 years old, he told his parents he's about his father's business. Those of you that are 12 or 13 or 18 or 19, make sure your answer is, I'm about my father's business. Let's pray.